had my microphone on the whole time, and he was smart enough to mute that. Just figured that out as I was walking up here, so you didn't get to hear all the conversations that Fran and I were having in the back. So you're welcome. Thanks, Mike. Good work. Uh, so good morning. My name is Mike Gary. I am the pastor here at Communitas Church, and Communitas is a church that exists to love God and love people and build disciples in and around the Brainerd Lakes area that walk in grace, who grow in faith, who then gather in groups to explore their gifts and then generously use those gifts to serve in and around the Brainerd Lakes area that, to make more disciples who love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and who love their neighbors as themselves and then continue to walk in grace, grow in faith by gathering in groups to explore their gifts and then generously use those gifts to serve in and around the Brainerd Lakes area to make more disciples who love God with everything they have and to love their neighbor as themselves so that we might build more disciples. Yeah. So we, we, we've worshipped in a number of different ways this morning. and We've worshipped through gathering, uh, just coming together, and I love that the imagery of that first song that, that Kelly played for us about there's another in the fire, and just that that's uh, out of the book of Daniel, if you've ever read through that. And so there's this image of, 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 uh, of this guy's like put into the fire, and they're, oh, there's, a, there's someone else in there with, with them, and, and, that's, and that's the Lord. And so when we gather today, it, it helps us to remember that it isn't simply to express our worship. And, and we don't gather and do this so that we might gain further favor with the Lord, but because He loves us abundantly, we gather that we would respond. And, and so we acknowledge that. And so it's less about our expression and more about edification. Less about the, the various, our preferences about song or, or style or, or preaching and, and more about the glory and the grandeur of who God is and that by His manifold wisdom He decided to call us to his own, adopt us as sons and daughters that we would show his glory throughout the world. And so we've also worshipped uh, through singing, singing songs about who God is and what he's done. And we've worshipped through the giving of tithes and offerings, and in a little bit we'll worship through listening to preaching and the proclamation of the word. And before we do that, we're going to worship uh, through the celebration of communion. And so communion is a, a sacred meal that's celebrated by the church, the, the Christian church throughout history and, and throughout the world. So as we gather in this meal today and as we think about what we've been talking about for the last few months with Paul just hitting us every single week about the ways that we're united, that we're one body and that we're to move closer and closer to companionship and it's less and less about competition. And so as we think about that, how do we display that to the rest of the world? Well, we gather at the table. And so when we gather here at the table, we gather with the churches around the city, with around the state, throughout the country, and throughout the world. And so there may be various churches and various denominations and various things that we don't quite agree with or we maybe wouldn't quite do it the way that they would, but that, that's how it works in a family. That's how it works in a relationship, right? Has anybody, anybody out there been in a relationship with somebody that does everything exactly the same and you're always in agreement? No, that's not, not this side of heaven anyway. Um, and, and, so, and so when we do this meal, we, we express that the Lord is paramount, that it's Jesus that is most important, and that that is what unifies us. Not preference, not the various ways we express, but who we edify. 
And so when we gather at this table, it, it, we acknowledge to those around us that we are walking with the Lord. And then we open ourselves up and invite others to walk along with us. And, and it's an invitation for, for accountability and encouragement. And so by, by our taking the, the communion together, we say that, yes, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. I see that you're walking with the Lord, and I'm going to encourage you in that. And I'm also going to hold you accountable. So when you do things that are, are good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to continue. And when we're doing things that are not, we're going to call you out, not because we dislike you, but because we want you to grow in wholeness. So we celebrate here what's called open communion, which means that you do not need to be a member of our church to celebrate with us. We just ask that you would be a repentant follower of Jesus. And so if that is you, then you are welcome to come to the table. And we also see there's a lot of little people around, and so parents, we leave that up to you uh, as to for you to decide whether or not it's appropriate for your kids to join in the meal with us. So we're going to take uh, some time in silence, and we're going to ask a few questions in this time. We're going to, we're going to listen to the Lord as one body. So we've sung, which means that we kind of get our, our breathing in, in line with one another. We've been singing the same words to the Lord. Now we're going to take some time as a group to listen to the Lord. And we're going to ask these questions of, of who is God and and who's God the Father, and, and what has he done? And who is, who is God the Son, and how did Jesus live his life, and, and how does that inform the way that I live my life? And then who is God the Holy Spirit, and, and what is the God the Holy Spirit trying to do in and through me? And what are some specific times and places, names and faces that, that come to mind? Might be ways in which we've, we've fallen short. It might be convicting us of our sin. Could be things that we've done well, where we're, we're growing and bearing fruit, and he wants us to continue. And then he might bring particular people that, or, or particular instances where we could better convey his truth to the world around us. So we're going to take the time and just, who is, who is God the Father? And, and what has he done? And who is God the Son? And how did he live his life? And how does that inform the way that I should live my life? And then, who is God the Holy Spirit? And what is the Holy Spirit trying to do in and through us individually and collectively? And how might He be convicting us, confirming us, and helping us to better convey His truth around the world? And so I also know that you know, we say that there's, we've got some little people in here and you think, man, silence, there's a lot of, like half the room leaves when the kids go, right? Like there's a lot of little people in here. <laughs> little people, kids, you always do such a good job. I'm always so impressed. The way that you listen and that you join with us and that you learn to grow with us. Because fortunately the church isn't about age, right? There isn't a magical age where all of a sudden, you know, God loves you more because you can shave or anything like that, right? That, that's not how it works. So God loves you just as much as he loves me. And so... And he can speak to you the same way he speaks to me. And so we're going to take some time to listen. And you might go, I, I don't know if I know how. But that's part of why we do this. So we can all learn together. Because I don't always get it right. I don't always hear from the Lord very well. And so we're going to learn how to grow and listen to the Lord together. And so parents, if you do have some kids that do make some noise, don't worry. No one's going to give you the stink eye about it. And if they do, well, we'll just, you know. Give them the stink eye back, I guess. I don't know. No, that isn't, that isn't Christ-like. Don't do that. So continue to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day to praise you. We see the, your glory 
in your wonder throughout the world, in both the sun and the rain, the warmth and the cold. And so we praise you. And Jesus, we thank you for your life, the way that you lived, the way that you continued to pursue, the way you were vulnerable before the Father, afflicted by man, died, rose again, and left to us your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to speak to us, quiet our minds and still our hearts, and tune our ears that we'd be able to hear you. Help us to listen. Help us to hear the ways that you're convicting us of our sin, that you're confirming in us the things that we're doing that we should continue to do. And Lord, bring specific times and places, names and faces, where we can better convey your message of hope, of truth, of grace and forgiveness. The night before Jesus, or the night he was betrayed, the last time that he was, was with his friends before the, the crucifixion, knowing that his body would break, knowing what he was about to go through, continuing to pursue the kingdom, to pursue his bride, he took the bread, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Knowing the huge risk he was about to take, that his blood would pour out. He took the cup and when given thanks, gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord, for this covenant for your persistence, and for your sacrifice. Lord, we pray that it informs the way that we live and love and serve you. Amen. Okay, at this time there are some blue buckets that are going to make their way around. Feel free to pitch your cups in there, and we will dispose of them for you. We're going to continue our time in Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. Verses, we'll be reading verses 15 through 33, but uh, looking specifically at 28 through 33. So if you have a paper Bible and you want to flip that out, Ephesians is almost at the end. It's about seven-eighths of the way through. Uh, if you see the book of Galatians, go a little bit further. If you hit Philippians or Colossians, come back a little bit to your left. If you don't have a paper Bible but want to follow along on your mobile device, feel free to take that out, tap, swipe, do whatever else it is you need to do to find it there. If neither of those options are available or preferable, the words will be displayed on the screen behind us. So Casey, whenever you're ready, uh, we'll be reading out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 33. Careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, 
Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we're able to gather here and read it, meditate on it, allow it to continue to form and inform us. So Lord, we pray that we would continue to seek out what it looks like to follow you, your word, your ways, that we would live as you've called us to live, be who you've called us to be. Amen. Okay, at this time, kids, you can head on out toward this door over that direction. Sarah and Sadie, Lily, Eric, Julie, Tom, Andrew and Scott, I'll have a great lesson planned out for you back there. And so, Lord, we thank you for these kids, and we thank you for these teachers. We know that it is not a small task to disciple your children. So, Lord, we pray that you continue to speak and work through those who are volunteering back there. Give them the words to speak that would help them to to teach the children that they'd understand. Grow in your ways. Amen. When Megan and I, uh, before we got married, we went to premarital counseling. Um, and uh, we're talking with, with the guy. And, and he's like, so, you know, big wedding, little wedding, whatever else. We're like, oh, you know, bigger wedding, I guess. And he's like, why? I don't know. Like, I don't know got a lot of friends and family and. You know, Megan's related to half of a small town, and I know pretty much everybody outside of that small town, so big, big thing. And he's like, well, well, but why, why? Like, why do it? Like, why not just have a big party? And we're like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's like special, right? Like, it's, it's our, it's marriage or whatever. And he's like, yeah, but, but why? And he kept asking us this why question. I just felt so stupid because I'm sitting there, I'm like, 
I, I, 15 seconds ago, I was pretty confident that I wanted to, you know, get married in front of a bunch of people, but now this guy's asked me a bunch of questions and I got no idea why it's significant, why it's important, why I should do this, why we should spend all the time and energy and money to gather everybody that we know together to make this oath before the Lord and all of our friends and then have a huge party afterward. Why people should come in from all over the country and all around, you know, whatever else to do this. And he just kept asking me these questions. And I, finally, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's why we're here, I guess. You, know, you tell me. Um, and fortunately, Paul points out that it's a profound mystery. So it made me feel a little bit better as I start reading this. I was like, oh, Paul didn't really even get it all that clearly. Well, that's, that's handy. But I love that what we're going to see here today is that, is that he, he's going to give us a metaphor. And a metaphor for marriage is always better than a list, right? It always helps us to, to move and gives us, a, although a fuzzier picture, certainly a more compelling picture, a more convicting picture. A picture that will draw us into the tension and have us wrestle with what's going on within us that we would better come to know the Lord and better understand who we are as people and how we've, we've been created to be. As Lonnie said last week, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, uh, it's available on, online. Check it out. He did a fantastic job. Um, and so in the ancient Near East, in, 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 in Ephesus, where Paul is, is writing this, to the people to whom the, the Paul is writing this letter, it was about a list. The woman had certain responsibilities, and she was to do those. And if she didn't do those, the man could just divorce her. And then she was just out on the street and didn't have anyone to care for her. And the man had no responsibilities. He was to dominate and assert his, his power. There were rules, and it was order. And then that was kind of how society was built. From this marriage thing up. And so to these people, Paul writes these words in 28. After Solani talked about, you know, he says, Husbands, loves your wives, and he says, you know, cherish her, you know, wash her with the, you know, the washing of the water of the word, present himself, you know, splendor without spot or wrinkle. So he's got all this Old Testament imagery about you know, holiness and perfection and, and purity. And then he says, and in the same way, and he says, you know, like talking about how Christ loves the church, and then he says, okay, husbands, Yet do that. In the same way, you should love your wives as your own bodies. If you're a man and you're listening to Paul writing those words at that time, like you might be staring off into space. You might be just kind of going through, going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's love as as your own body. What? As as my own body, my own flesh and blood? Are you what? This would have been absolutely shocking for the people to hear. Because the man's role was to go out and produce, to dominate in and out of the home. No consideration about the wife. And then so Paul says, love her as you love your own body. 
and so it begins to draw on this imagery of of equality, not not sameness, but starting to bring about this 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 equality in your your own body. It's like you know you wouldn't you know if if you had to choose like do you want to cut off your right or your you know your right hand or your right foot? That's a conundrum, right? Because both of them are are very are equally as important. And, but they have different roles. They have different functions, and we need them both. And just like you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't just let let your your right hand wither while your left hand gets stronger. Although if you go to the gym and you see, you know, the guys that skip legs day, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. He's saying, "Hey, look, whole body. You can't be lopsided here." And so this would have been wildly controversial, and certainly would have stuck out. She says, love your wives as your own body. You are one people. And he's drawing a little bit on, on what we talk about every week, how we're supposed to love God and to love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So this is, these are, see, these are Jesus' words. He's quoting the Old Testament. And so Paul's drawing on that and he's, he's saying, yeah, and it's going to start here in your marriages, in your relationships with one another. And so, if you're a man in Ephesus, you might be wondering, um, how? Right? Because they've had no model of this. Imagine being, being a young man or an older man, any age man, sitting there in that room listening to that letter, and Paul saying, love your wife. You would have absolutely no idea how to do that. Right, and so, because where do we get our cues on how to how to act, how to operate, right? From those around us, some of us from our parents or family or, or just people who've been close to us, people the various role models. They've never had anyone to demonstrate that. Totally foreign concept. And she so says, "Well, well, how how are we gonna? How do I do that? How do I love my wife as I as I love myself? How how do I, Paul? How do I, how do I do that?" And he says, well, you don't hate your own flesh, right? But what do you do? You nourish it. You cherish it. You think about, you know, in the morning, one of the first things I do is I eat food, right? Because I need nourishment. I'm a little bit hungry when I wake up in the morning. And so I, so I do that, and then, and then I'll maybe spend some time reading, praying. Maybe I'll go to the gym. Do things that are good for me. And Paul's saying, yeah, also do that for your wife, men. And so nourish and cherish just as Christ does the church because we are members of the same body. And so he's giving us this metaphor here and, and helping us to try to, he's trying to help us to understand a little bit more about how we're to love one another, and then also more about who God is. And, and so he, he says, hey, you're going you're to nourish and you're going to cherish as Christ does the church. So, and if you're, if you're in a list society, right, like they are, like what do you what do? You do? If someone says, like, I'm going to, like, I want you to nourish and cherish. If you're in that room, you might be thinking, okay, like, how much? How far do I have to go? Like, what's... Like, how, how much nourishing and cherishing do I have to do before I can just stop and, and go back out to doing 
what I wanted to do otherwise. Right? Is that, I mean, does anybody else think that way once in a while? Or is that, maybe that's just me. Okay. Um, and so Paul says, you're going to love as, as Christ did the church all the way to death. Because love and submission always bring pain. This is not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And it's the conduit through which you're going to change. I remember when I was, uh, I was about 19, my dad and I did not get along at all. And uh, I'd gone off to college and I was like, I really don't care if I talk to him until Christmas. And I was talking with my with a mentor of mine about that, and he was like, "Do you want to get married ever?" I was like, "Yeah, someday. It seems like a good good idea." And he goes, "The way that you treat this relationship with your dad and how you repair and deal with conflict in that relationship is going to set the tone for how you deal with conflict in every other relationship in your life, especially that uh, that relationship with your wife." I was like. Oh, okay, I, I guess I'll go back to my room and tell my dad that I love him and start to repair that so that someday I can have a functioning relationship with other people and especially with my wife. Because love and submission always bring pain. It's always going to be work. And the Lord knows that it isn't going to be easy, but that it's going to be worth it. And if you were sitting in that room, you might be going, well, like, how do I know? Like, what's, what's the hope? Like, how, how do I know? Because if, if there's a lot of security in a list, right? If you have a list of do's and don'ts, there's security in that. You know what you're, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. What are the parameters? Now Paul's drawing us into this metaphor. And then he gets really Old Testament po- poetical and he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So if you look in your, if you have a paper Bible, and and maybe if you have a a digital copy as well, you may notice that there's a little note right before verse 31, where he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and there's some little quotes. And what he's doing is he's, he's, calling us back to Genesis 2, 24. And there's this whole story about, about the first marriage, about union, about being one flesh, about being one body. And so in Genesis 2, we see there's this, this good union, right? It's whole, it's complete. And then in Genesis 3, we have the fall. Shame enters in. We move from companionship to comparison. From nourish and cherish to desire and dominion and domination. Where we once had peace and tranquility and unity, we now have critique, bitterness, contempt, and they're stonewalling one another both aggressively and passively. I like the way that uh, Tripp says this. He says we have marriage from Genesis 3 till now as two fallen people in a broken world with a faithful God. And I love that last part, with a faithful God. 
Because I know that I'm broken. And I know as that's why I was in premarital counseling, right? Two broken people coming together to try to be one body, one whole unit. But we don't complete one another. It isn't, isn't a puzzle piece where all of a sudden you take two broken people and put them together and suddenly it works, right? Has that been anyone else's experience? You usually put two broken people together and you have all kinds of friction and tension. But it's refining and we're better for it. Whether you're married or otherwise. And so how do we know that he's going to be faithful? How do we know that we have this faithful God who's going to see us through? How do we know that we, have, that we can even have hope in this marriage thing, in this relationship thing, in this, in, in this relationship with the Lord, in this union, this, this coming back together? Well, we read Genesis 3.15, the last part. So although God's kind of telling the people how it's going to be, He's saying as a consequence of your sin, Eve, you're going you're gonna to long for your husband. And in order for intimacy to happen, it's all going to be on his terms, whether or not he wants to do it or not. And there's going to be tension there. And Adam, yeah, what used to be really easy and there used to be just fertile soil everywhere and whatever you laid your hands on worked, everything's going to be difficult now. Nothing will come as easily as it ought to. But he puts his hope right in the middle. He says, he's talking, he says, he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in some ways, this is the first glimpse of what we have of, of Jesus coming later. Because if you think about it, so like if you get bit by a snake on the heel, a poisonous snake, are you dead? Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's heel, neck, arm, whatever, you're dead. But if you step on the snake, is the snake going to make it either? No. So both die in this metaphor, but he's using some imagery and whoever has their heel on the head of the other is the victor. And so we see the beginning of this resurrection message even all the way back in the fall. He's saying there will be hope. It's going to be full of tension and work and strife, but there is hope. There will be reunion. There will be reconciliation. So you might be thinking, okay, well, how is this going to come to fruition? How, do I, how can I see this? How do I see this actually happen? And Paul says, it's going to happen in our marriages. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see it's going to continue to get teased out in the way that that we parent and the way that we allow ourselves to be parented and the way that we deal with our employers and the way that we deal with employees. And we're going to see that throughout these various relationships, we're going to see the way that the Lord works and the way that reconciliation will come about. But here he's drawing on this metaphor and he's saying, hey, this is going to be two people walking in submission displaying the manifold wisdom of God. For why? What's their, what's their intent? What's their focus? To submit to Christ. And so what is Paul trying to get us to see? These people are becoming one. Marriage is this grand metaphor that helps us to understand more about who God is, how He loves, and how we're called to love. 
There's initiation, there's vulnerability. There's continual pursuit. And then there's also availing ourselves to risk. Right? Because do you think it's going to be easy for Eve to want to trust Adam after he kind of left her in the lurch? Okay, and then Adam has to overcome his, his passivity there and, and go out and pursue and to initiate. Does he not? And so why is it important for us to understand this? Well, because it reminds us of Jesus' victory and the coming kingdom. And it informs us how to love. So whether we're single, whether we're married, wherever we are in the relationship spectrum, marriage should speak to us and inform us a little bit about who God is and how He loves. And this isn't meant to be any kind of a, a guilt trip, right? Like you shouldn't read this. If, you, if you're in here and you're going, I, you know, I'm, I was married and I'm not married, or I'm not married and I'd like to be married, or I am married and I'm not really sure what's going on. This isn't meant to say, oh, you, everyone should strive to have the perfect marriage because Paul, single guy, right? Did very important, wonderful things for the church. So sometimes we see marriages, our marriages become a little bit of an idol. We think that everything will be better once we're married, and that's not always the case, is it? So what's the deal with, with love and respect? Why, why does he call us to that? You know, he says, husbands, I want you to love. And, and so this question came up in our, in our group a few weeks ago. Where we went, well, what's the difference between love and, and submission? And how does that all work? And submission is an expression of love. And, and I found someone that gave the definition of, of love is to give up life for somebody and submission is to give up life to somebody. Both are active. Neither are passive. Both represent choice. right? And so if we don't understand this, we're just going to continue on with the Genesis 3 story. We're going to continue on in critique, in bitterness, in competition, and eventually we're just going to stonewall the other, either passively or aggressively. Either way, it's sin. So what, what should we do instead? Well, it says we should love and respect one another. And what's the significance of, of love and respect? Generally speaking, women tend to hold security is a higher value than significance. Not always. Not in every instance. Just generally speaking, societally, women tend to value security over significance. Men tend to value significance over security. If you've ever been on a college campus, you'll often see men, for the sake of, of significance, putting security totally aside and doing all sorts of foolish things, right? Generally speaking, I know that we have some people, we might have some women out here that say, no, significance is far more important, and that's fine. And we may have some men that say, actually, security is far more important to me, and that's fine too. Just speaking generally here. And that's what Paul is doing. So he's saying, why, why love and respect? Why is it that the husband is called to love the, love the wife? And why is it that the, the, the wife is called to respect the husband? 
Well, because when the husband loves the wife, he upholds that need for security. He speaks into that. And when the wife respects the husband, she affirms his significance. Right? So we think about that not just within our marriage relationships, but just within our relationships with people that we meet. How does that begin to inform how we treat one another and the way that we uphold one another and how we value one another? So what are we to do with this? Continue to seek a new heart and to speak words and commit actions which show care. They don't crush the other. Look for and identify ways, whether you're married or single, that you can move from competition with one another to companionship with one another. Both verbally and physically. Right, so how this works sometimes in, in our house is that Megan doesn't always need me to be right up next to her, right? But sometimes she just wants me to be home. She's like, I don't care if you're just out in the garage like playing. I just, I just like to know that, that you're here. And so if I'm doing it okay or doing it well, I'm going to schedule my time so that when she's home, I'm going to try to be home. And if she wants to work on a project, I can at least just be in the area and doing something. And I'm not sure how that works for you and, and, and your spouse. I'm not going to give a list, right? I'd rather give, give a story, present a person, and then let you all figure it out together. So it might be to take some time and wonder, okay, how do you want me to express this? What does this look like? So last week as I was reading this, I was pretty convicted by this all. And so I just asked Megan, I said, hey, security or significance, which is more important? She's like, oh yeah, security for sure. I'm like, okay, how do I show you, like how do I make you feel secure? And she gave me this list of things that I had no idea that, I was like, really? When I do that, that's important? Okay. I went and wrote them down. It's like, I, I was shocked. I didn't know. I honestly, I was like, oh, I do these things. That, that probably makes her feel secure. Didn't even make the list. I was like, what about these things? She's like, ah, I don't know. I don't really care. I'm like, really? Huh. You spent all this time trying to figure this out. And you're like, no, it doesn't matter. Okay. And so what does it look like if, if we start to become experts in, in what the other one wants? And in the other one's strengths? Because often I find that when I'm overly critical of Megan, I'm critiquing, I'm taking her weakest moments and pitting them against my strongest moments. Does anyone else see the disparity and the unfairness in there? Does anyone else see their relationship in that story as well? Right? Anybody else do that or am I alone on that? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. <laughs> well, we, we sang a song earlier that says that I'm, I'm not alone, so that's good. And so what does it look like to, to engage? What are the simple things that we can do? Pick up the phone, put down the phone. Sp spend some time inside, spend some time outside. Put away the tool. 
maybe pick up the tool, whatever it is. But again, I'm not going to give a list. I'm going to give some ideas, and then it's going to be up to you all to, to talk about it and to figure out what does this look like? How, how can we move from competition with one another back to companionship with one another? How can we move from disunity to unity? How can we go from, from two people fractured and broken to two people working together as, as one body pursuing the Lord with everything that they have out of reverence of Christ to display the manifold wisdom of God because as Paul says, we've been brought near, adopted as sons and daughters of God. So it's going to be tough, but Jesus knows it, right? And he's with us in this. And so when we hear God's voice, we remember, we remind, and we rejoice. So let us remember that where the world gives a list, the gospel presents a person. Jesus gives us his body. Let us live out that metaphor. And let's rejoice that we have hope in the midst of all the struggle and all the tension that there's hope because Jesus will win. Married or single, when we see marriages, may we not be reminded of envy and of toil. But may we be reminded of what God is calling us to and how He's done it and the way that He has been faithful and the the way He will continue to be faithful. And so may we encourage others that their relationships would flourish. May we be a people who love like Christ loves the church, that we would nourish and cherish those in the body around us. May we show the world not a list, but a metaphor. Not a list of do's and don'ts, but a relationship. We love and respect one another. Go in peace.